All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 81 of Going Live with Good Soil, where we broadcast this on our YouTube channel for Good Soil Investment. We broadcast it live on there, as well as we are incorporating Twitter spaces at the same time. Uh, highly encourage other YouTubers to do this more often. I think it's very helpful for Twitter and just for exposure of your channel and so forth as well. So, um, yeah, Matt, episode 81, the CPI was uh, in line with expectations last week. And, you know, the market didn't really react that day. It was like kind of a dud in terms of volatility. I mean, if you were selling, uh, you know, calls and puts that day, you could have made a lot of money just like selling all the excitement around it and nothing happening, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the the funny thing about it was you had a negative headline number, um, I believe, for the first time uh, since the whole inflation thing, you know, uh, kicked off. So uh, that was the expectation. So it wasn't necessarily a big beat. And you know, if you if you back out the um, uh, energy and, and some of the other um, non core pieces of it, there there still was a, mon a modest amount of inflation uh, in the core CPI figure. <laughs> but the fact that we we've, we've got negative CPI at all. Um, and the Fed is still talking about raising rates into that is is just crazy to me. It <laughs> it's is like it's like the body's falling, like you've knocked out the boxer, and then they're just gonna you're like punch, punch them while they're down. Yeah, it's, it's exactly Kick them while they're down still, even after they're dead, you know, it just doesn't make sense. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, give it some time, see, okay, yeah, it looks like what we've done so far cooled down the economy in the way that we wanted to, um, yeah. or it didn't, and and kind of reassess after that, but it's it's just so strange to me that all these figures are finally coming down. The leading indicators of inflation are really coming down, but even the yeah. lagging ones are coming down now and they're still talking about raising rates into it. So it's just, yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy to me. Yeah. And PPI released this Wednesday expectation is zero negative, uh, 0.1% month over month. So, I mean, it seems like we're clearly, if that expectation lives in the CPI, it seems like we're heading into a deflationary environment and can they really, increase rates in a deflationary environment is that even like do you think that's like i mean do you think that, that they would do that if there's like three months in a row of deflation month over month and you think they're still going to raise rates if that happens i don't think i mean i think there's this um next fomc meeting which is next week i believe um two weeks i, I think I'm, end of it's in two February. weeks okay yeah, three or it's or, like the last day of february january first day of february yeah yeah, so so the, at that next FOMC meeting, whenever that is, uh, I think the expectation is, is priced at about 100% certainty of a 25 basis point hike, which is You think small. that's the last one? I think that's the last one. Um, mm. But, I mean, it seems kind of <laughs> strange to me that you'd even be talking about raising rates with everything that we know right now. I mean, keep it flat, you know, get a couple more months of data and, and then see what to do. But, yeah. I don't know. To me, it's just it's the, the whole Fed thing is just laughably backward looking at this point yeah and, and yeah. there's a, a lesser known data point but um it may be a, a leading indicator for uh january is they have this you know empire state manufacturing index which is you know one of the um it's just a, one of many kind of manufacturing focused ind indices it was forecast to come in at minus 7.0 and it came in at minus 32.9 percent or minus 32.9 it's an index amount of percent mm -hmm. uh this morning so it's just, you wow. know, it, it's signaling a very sharp contraction in uh, like factory output, at least in New York. So, you know, it's anecdotal. Yeah. But to me, the, the, all the anecdotal evidence is is pointing towards deflation right now. Um, and so to, to kind of keep fighting the inflation boogeyman just seems seems wrongheaded. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you heard it here for, for, first, folks. Inflation is dead. Good soil episode number eighty-one. <laughs> we declare we put a flag, a stake in inflation. It's dead. No one else seems to really uh, seem confident, but I am. I am feeling very confident. I think Matt is increasing. I don't know how if he's as confident as I am, but I'm feeling very confident. Inflation is dead. Um, so, just the data takes time to show it, and uh, these month-over-month metrics are the closest thing we have to the nearest time data we have i think that's what we need to be looking at the most um but the fed is looking at some of these uh, annualized inflation rates or something uh which uh, you know uh, anyway it's just uh we, how fast are we going to enter deflation and you know arc investment kathy wood's been preaching that for a while and i believe that we're on the cusp of a deflationary environment so we'll see uh but most people listen to us about Tesla, right? I mean, Tesla's the big name we want to talk about. We study that. We spend most of our uh, waking, breathing hours thinking, analyzing, studying Tesla. Me and you, Matt, and many of the people who follow us were all obsessed with Tesla. I have been for 10 plus years now. Uh, I did put a tweet out that Roblox is another stock we follow is surging. I guess the street likes their monthly metrics numbers. We can talk about that later too. But um, Tesla, I mean, the big news is these price drops, the price cuts. I mean insane i mean they're cutting the price probably for the i mean some of those stuff like what is the model three got cut by like three or four thousand but the model y long range which is their highest selling most popular car got cut by like what thirteen thousand or something like that yeah um, it was a 20 percent drop <laughs> yeah 20 percent. then you add the 7500 it's like a 30 percent drop really when you add this so but but the tesla is cutting themselves 20 percent. so like thirteen thousand dollars off their highest so let's just extrapolate on average like Ten thousand dollars per car on average that they, you know, you know, some people are going to get the Model Three, which only had a four thousand price drop. A lot of people are going to get the Model Y, thirteen thousand. Let's just say it's ten thousand. If they're selling four hundred thousand cars, let's say they're selling two hundred thousand cars in the U.S. Okay, best case, let's say I don't know, two hundred thousand, maybe one hundred fifty. That would be like one point five to two billion dollars of just cash giving away in a way, don't you think? I mean, I mean. If there's 150,000 to 200,000 cars in the U.S. being sold in the quarter after a $10,000 loss in price because demand didn't support the higher price point, I, so many people say it's not Tesla's have a demand. Of course, they have a demand issue. They would not cut the price if there was not a demand issue at this current time. So if they didn't need to cut the price, they would have had an extra 1.5 to $2 billion in their pocket. You know, but they had to cut the price to get to sell as many cars as they can produce in the U.S., right? I mean, is that math correct, Matt? Am I missing something? Yeah, I mean, the the absolute dollar value of the of the of the math isn't wrong. So yeah, I mean, if if demand truly was unlimited, which seemed to be the case a year ago, and which a lot of people are even saying now that you know, like, it, it strikes me as totally bizarre. But like you're saying that uh, some bulls out there are saying Tesla doesn't have demand issue. Because if they didn't have a demand issue, then they would not have cut prices. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's like economics very, 101. It's so big. And Elon has even confirmed this. So even if you just don't believe us, I mean, Elon has said it. So uh, yeah. you know, follow the cult leader, if, if not us. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's just, uh, yeah. They, I mean, very clearly, they did not have enough demand at those price points um, to, to mm -hmm. fulfill their need. Now, is that catastrophic news? And is, is the stock going to like get cut in half? No. I mean, and I've been spending a lot of time kind of digging into this. Um, but it's very clear that they couldn't uh, even maintain their current level of orders at the at the previous price points. Um, this back in Q2, I think it was, was when they really had that 
uh, crazy backlog and, and they raised prices. Maybe it was Q1. Yeah. I think it was Q2. Um, yeah. But they raised prices and then the backlogs just started getting whittled down and to the point in you know late Q4 where it was basically gone, the worldwide backlog. And so, you know, I think what that showed you is that the, the price increases that they had in, in effect for six to nine months, um, there, there was never a sustainable order rate at those prices. Uh, otherwise, the backlog would have just kept growing. And so, you know, I think they, they raised prices in order to kind of chew through the backlog. And now that they've cleared it out and they've got more production coming online, very clearly they needed to lower prices uh, in order to to sustain uh, delivery volumes. So, uh, yeah, no, it's it's not a good thing on the surface, you know, as in like to your point, if there was unlimited demand, they'd have like a billion more dollars in the U.S., probably more than that worldwide this year. Yeah. Um, but it is a good thing in my mind, because in the real world, you do need to cut prices in order to, you know, yeah. uh, it kind of advance in the, or, or to, to sell the product. Yeah. My, I put a tweet out, my big complaint, I mean, in the real world also, you know, big companies do some torp, some type of advertising, you know, and uh, Tesla has always been kind of um, above that, you know, from on a moral high ground, I would say, or something or out of principle or something from Elon. And, you know, I've been a, a fan of that for up till now, you know, I think giving away 1.5 to $2 billion of profit per quarter is not necessary. They could have put a hundred million dollars, you know, one, they could have put, you know, five or 10% of that amount of money into traditional advertising commercials just to educate, not to like trick or market, you know, people, there's so much semantics around advertising. It seems like sneaky and, you know, tricking consumers and just trying to sell, you know, you know, popular people, influencers using it or whatever, but maybe they just put out sort of like those infomercial commercials, you know, that's not like that, where you're just saying, look, Tesla is the safest car, despite what you see in the media. Tesla is cost effective. You don't have to go to gas stations or change oil ever. And charging is not as difficult as you might think. You can just charge at home every night and have 300 miles every morning when you start, wake up, you know, like if they just put those three points out and like some simple advertisements, like infomercials, like to the public, you know, like if they do that, I think that'll do a ton for demand in, you know, long term, medium term, you know, long term, whatever, but medium term, they would not have needed to, you know, basically sacrifice $2 billion of margin per quarter for the next few quarters if they had just put these commercials out, in my opinion, in my opinion, I, I think it's worth yeah. testing an A-B test or something at least. You know, I, I completely agree. I mean, the fact that they didn't even dip their toe in into that, that's that's what, you know, I find particularly upsetting. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this, we, we don't yeah. need to go like full on, you know, crazy, uh, like tr traditional auto OEM marketing budget and like do Super Bowl ads. But you saw how yeah. how effective the Super Bowl ads were <laughs> for Tesla last year when all the other yeah. companies. It was yeah. like there was a direct translation to their order book. Yeah. So why not try, you know, spending twenty million dollars, like you said, you know, just um, to to educate and and because there's still we're still so early on in the adoption curve and still so many people that yeah. I talk to who who aren't in this bubble think, oh, you can't drive you know, long road trips and any, so they're not safe. It, they're not safe. They it, burn up in fires or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's just so much, um, misunderstanding about the, the ownership experience that it, there, there's some really low hanging fruit that like a, a really yeah. well, well put together, you know, 30 second, uh, like if you had five different 30 second things that would just be like, you know, yeah. a guy talking to his neighbor about like, Oh, aren't EVs like 
isn't it awful to be charging at a public station all the time? He's like, well, no, isn't it awful to go charging at a gas station all the time? Yeah. Just like a little yeah. back and forth with that. So like, oh, yeah, people thinking, like the same thing on the maintenance, like do the same thing on the safety. You know, there's yeah. so many highlights that people just are not aware of. Um, yeah. And it's just, it seems like low hanging fruit that very low really hanging could try, you know, and if it, if they try it and it doesn't work, great, we learned something. But if they try yeah. it and it works, then okay, maybe you don't have to lower prices so much. Yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to sacrifice $2 billion or quarter, five to $10 billion of profit this year. You know, like basically they're just giving away five to $10 billion yeah. because they don't want to advertise. That's how I see it. Yeah, yeah. So I, and I mean, it's, it's got such a strong brand name too. I think it really would be like the, the Apple advertisements when that used to be a big thing in like the 2000s. Yeah. With all like yeah. the dancing with like the you know yeah. uh ipod and all that i mean those were those yeah. were really great commercials and i think those tesla weren't really like could those do weren't the same. like tesla doesn't need to do with that those weren't like really infomercial commercials those are just like kind of yeah. branded like kind of cool slick i mean i like that that's true but tesla doesn't need to go there i think tesla just needs to inform us inform the public yeah. you know in our bubble everyone watching this in our bubbles we all know tesla there's so many people you talk to you know and uber drivers you know were commenting on my twitter thread about that saying like yeah I, I drive my tesla uber all the time when i pick people up they have no idea what the heck's going on they think it's unsafe they think it's hard to charge you know i have to educate everyone yeah. like half the people he picks up he has to try to educate them on what's going on so you get some of that we're doing the best we can as early adopters of tesla but we can only spread the word so quickly you know amongst yeah. ourselves with our family and our networks it's not fast enough to keep up with the growing production capacity in this recessionary environment for tesla to meet its you know to, for demand to meet its growing production capacity so i think just some traditional advertising would go a long way like you said low-hanging fruit it seems absurd that they don't try it to me in the u.s you know like at this point, like maybe maybe five years ago when they were getting ready for the Model 3 or they're tiny and it costs a lot of money, but they have all this money in the, you know, instead of doing a $10 billion yeah. buyback, they could do $100 million of advertising and give a $9 million billion share buyback and 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 they wouldn't have to lower prices and we'd have a buyback too, you know? <laughs> so basically uh, we're sacrificing a lot, you know, as a business owner of Tesla, which all of us shareholders are, you know, we all can opine on this stuff. And to me, I think like Elon in his head, he's principled and he sees the big long-term picture, you know, the end justifies the means in terms of business or whatever. And he wants to give the price break to the consumers, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like Tesla will be great in the long-term, no matter what, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, I disagree. And maybe he also like, maybe the idea of like doing case studies on Tesla in the future, like, Hey, you could be a great business and never have to do advertising. You're like, what a case study that would be. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, so I just don't like it. I, I think they should try traditional advertising. It would just help the general public perception um, and, and grow adoption faster. I mean, advanced uh, su sustainable transport, accelerate the, you know, sustainable transport is the mission, right? You know, don't, don't yeah. you think some traditional advertising would accelerate it. I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, on, on the flip side of this, though, I mean, if you're GM or Ford or Toyota and you've got to compete yeah. against the Model Y and the Model 3 at these prices, you know, especially in the U.S. with the incentives on top of that. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, my trouble. gosh. Like, yeah. like so so from from a competitive standpoint, boy, does it put the, the pressure on on those other guys. Um, that is true. That is so, true. So to me, it, it, seem, it seems like a they have secured their ability to uh you know d deliver as many cars as they can produce you know at least for 2023 uh with mm -hmm. this pricing uh, so so that part of it 
um, I, th- I think is good, but uh, maybe it didn't need to be quite so painful on margins in the in the short term. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what do you have you thought about the the competitive dynamics now and, and how that changes with like if you're if you're trying to buy a crossover and you got to compare, you know, like the as far as I put a couple tables out, I don't have them right in front of me, but you know, like a Rav Four Ice versus a, a Model Y, like, isn't, isn't the math just so much easier now? Um, I do think uh, the demand just from the price. The organic demand increase from a price is is very substantial. You, you know, when you see the, you know, I saw some analysis that says like, you know, the end of December after she had that initial price cut, you know, for the last like 10 days of December, the price now when you include the Inflation Reductionary Act with that price cut is 20% lower than it was at the end of December, you know, and or now you could say it's like 30% lower than it was before the price cut, you know. So when you, when you do the math, you know, I think there's like demand does not increase proportionally to the price. Like some some might speculate, oh, well, that means demand went up 30% or some I saw someone say like demand should be about double maybe that. So 60%. I think demand might go up 100% plus just from the $30,000 price cut. Or the 30% price yeah. cut, the $20,000 price cut, you know, so the 30% price cut, I could see demand being a hundred percent, the sustainable demand given like the current economic environment say that, you know, assuming that stays the same would be a hundred percent more. Um, and so that demand is taken from the competitors, like you said, GM, mm-hmm. and then it's also taken from, you know, not just the EV offerings, but the, obviously the internal combustion off engine offerings at those price points. So, Demand might even be 200% or 300% increase, you know, just from a $20,000 price cut. It's hard to say, but it's, I'd say it's a lot more than 20% increase in demand yeah. from a 20% price cut. I mean, I, so yeah. I remember this old rule of thumb, which, which might be dated right now. And it's possible I, I have it slightly mixed up, but it was something to the effect of for every, you know, $10,000 you drop in, in a vehicle market segment. So from 40 to 30 or 30 <laughs> mm-hmm. to 20, you double the addressable market within that, within that segment. Which which makes yeah. sense because obviously you know the the market for a twenty five thousand dollar you know like base version uh, is probably I mean probably twenty five thousand is too low now but you know like a, a Camry or whatever a Camry or Accord like the most popular selling cars that are thirty thousand dollars is I don't I don't know how much larger but drastically larger than the market for like a fifty thousand dollar you know BMW whatever of of a similar size. Um, so yeah, if you, if you drop by $20,000, maybe you five X or four X, or maybe it's just two X the, the market, but very significant, um, increase in overall demand. And the other thing that I think to the point we were saying earlier about just the overall market uh, education is people still, I, I, I don't think appreciate the total cost of ownership difference between the, the, the EVs and, and ICE vehicles. So people are still comparing sticker price. But you're not changing oil. You know the fuel cost is like a third of, of what it yeah. is for for gasoline. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just there, there's charging home every night. Convenient, just the sticker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And a little bit of traditional advertising, I think, would go a long way for that. Um, so and and what's interesting is, do, do you think in the U.S. that um, GM would have to is going to have to lower the price of the Mach E, for example, now? Or do you think they're going to keep the same price or what? Well, I, you know, I'm not sure what their production is. I mean, because if they're if they're like 10,000 units a year or something like that, then 
they probably don't need to cut prices to to keep selling that that few. Uh, but if yeah. they have ambitions to get to you know Model Y types of sales figures, then of course they're going to have to cut. It would have to be priced a lot cheaper than a Model Y, I think, in order to to get to those comparable levels. And yeah. they're not going to be profitable doing that. So um, you know, I kind of think that they're going to stay with the production targets that they have. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and Ray- as long as yeah, go ahead. I was going to say Raymond Chan mentioned, which I was going to bring up to you, that in China. The competitors like Xpeng just lowered their price by like five or six thousand dollars for their main car. So, do you think uh, it seems like the Chinese competitors might be moving to lower their price to kind of keep up with Tesla, which seems like impossible for them? I mean, don't you think they're going to be? I, I would think they're going to be like losing money those those Chinese competitors, but maybe they have no choice because they've already been building up this inventory. If they don't lower price, they just won't get the demand to sell the car. And then they're screwed more than selling it at a small loss, right? I mean, so I'm wondering if GM and and Ford are going to have to do something similar with the, and Volkswagen are going to have to do something similar and just lower the price, even though they're going to lose money now or more money. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the Chinese market is way more competitive than, than the U.S. market right now. Um, yeah. I mean, this is... There were a bunch of new models released in the last six months or so. Um, so it's that you know, dynamic is really aggressive right now, uh, more mm-hmm. so, much more so than, than in the United States. So I, I think it it might be a race to the bottom more so in, in China in, in terms of uh, gross margins for all these players uh, mm-hmm. than, than it will be for, um, you know, in the U.S. market. Because I think there's there, like China might have 50. I saw somewhere uh, somebody said that China might have 50 percent EV sales this year. That sounds too aggressive to me, but 50 percent. No way. Yeah, that I, that, that's what I thought. So I think there was somebody that had a market forecast of saying uh, 2025 that gets a 50% market share, which like that, that was that's still pretty aggressive. Um, uh, but since some other market commentator th- said that it would happen this year. I, so but let's just say 2025, for example, that's way faster than is going to happen in, in the United States. Um, so it's just it's a it's a much different uh, overall environment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So, I mean, the cost of goods services is going to decrease, obviously, as they ramp up. I mean, and the, we're back to kind of a deflationary environment, it seems like, for commodities and, and you know, chips, perhaps, and all that. I mean, um, Giga Berlin and Austin are ramping up, so they should be getting more efficient. Um, have you modeled out or have you speculated on the cost of goods services, cost of goods sold, what the, what those decreases might be like or how they could help offset the price off, price decrease? Yeah. So I, I've been looking at it in detail um, and it's, it's kind of tricky because we're, we're looking at what's going to happen in Q1, uh, but we still don't have the Q4 data yet. We'll, we'll have that next week, obviously, after the, the earnings call. Um, but it's a, there are a lot of things that I think are going to be tailwinds in terms of reducing cost of goods sold. So the the, the biggest one probably is the raw material cost decreases that that have um, been coming down for the last you know six to twelve months, kind of depending on on which commodity you're looking at. But you know, steel, aluminum, lithium carbonate's a really big one, uh, which which has really been decreasing lately. Um, and all these these prices are coming down, so that's going to lower the cost of goods sold across the board. Uh, but then on top of that, you've got higher throughput in Shanghai in particular, because that was, I mean, in Q3, which is our last, you know, data data point, yeah. um, they were in the middle of that um, of that ramp. So we didn't have a full quarter of the the higher production volume to kind of flow through the cost of goods sold. Um, so so that will help too. And then obviously Berlin and Austin ramping 
uh, those those were definitely dragging down uh, overall gross margins. And so you've got all these um, factors kind of coming together, plus you know continued improvements within the factories, like the all the giga castings, which which have been you know worked on right now, and um, uh, all these other kind of continuous improvement um, practices which Tesla puts in place. So I, I think it's fair to assume that there's going to be at least you know two thousand dollars of cost of goods sold savings. Um, but mm -hmm. it's just it's so hard to say exactly when these savings would would kind of change through or, or adjust. So um, the the math that that I've been doing is is uh, it's still very much up in the air, like I was saying. But um, you know you're you're taking prices down. Maybe it's an average of ten percent worldwide, something like that. Um, and your mm -hmm. cost of goods sold is going to come down some amount less than that. So you'll have mm -hmm. margin pressure a little bit. Um, I think I think the kind of range that I think is likely to see um, like uh, the the gross margin decrease, I think it's probably two and a half percent to five percent. Uh, I think five percent is probably on the, the high end. So, you know, if, if you're talking about going from the high 20s, so like 28, 29 percent in recent quarters, to you know, like the the mid twenties, twenty two, twenty three, or some something like that. Possibly even staying to the in the twenty five percent range, depending on that'd be great. You know, cost of goods sold, yeah, which which would be a huge win. <laughs> it's just been funny, like looking at because my my gut reaction when these these price cuts came out was, oh man, this is going to absolutely destroy margin. Uh, and and my yeah. my thinking was, you know, okay, you've got roughly fifteen thousand of margin per car, uh, less than that, uh, a little bit less than that, maybe. Um, and you're going to cut prices by five to ten thousand dollars. It's like, oh, that's like a third of your profits gone. But when yeah. you do the do, do the math, so a lot of people were thinking, okay, gross margins in the teens, and that was kind of where my head went at first. It was just like, you know, 15, 16, 18 percent gross margin, something like that for all of twenty twenty three. That was just my gut take. But then when I started actually modeling it out, and I always try to be middle of the road with these numbers, um, you know, it was it was not nearly that drastic. Um, so, yeah. which was a surprise to me. Um, and you've seen some Tesla Q folks. There's this one guy who is, he, he just, his math was, he took a, the 25% auto gross margin and said, okay, there's a 15% price cut. Uh, so that means that gross margins are going to be 10% going forward. And I'm just like, that's, <laughs> that is not how that math works at all. So <laughs> there's, I think there's yeah. a lot of, uh, like, a lot of Tesla Q is are just like rubbing their hands like this is it like the moment I've finally been waiting for like Tesla go bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, so, Tesla's the stock is ripping now. 130. We've broken. Uh, seems uh, again maybe the second time for today. Maybe we'll stay above it. It's time. 130.26 as we talk. So it's a good day. Wow. Finally, we're talking on another day where the stock is actually uh, recovering and coming up. So 130 still too last low. Week. Yeah. <laughs> We're close to 30% higher than the low. Isn't that kind of crazy when you think about it that way? Like the low was like, what, 101 or 102 just uh, a couple of weeks ago or a week or two ago. And now we're at 130. So it's like 30% higher and like pretty quickly. I feel like that the lows are in. I don't I don't know. I don't feel like we're going to go dip below 100 now. It feels like hard to fathom at this point, um, you know, from just yeah. a trading perspective. I agree. I mean, I think at this point it would take uh, Drew Dixon made this point. And I agree with him. I think it would take fundamental misses from Tesla to to, to yeah. you know make the the lows go lower. So if like if know, their Q four margins were like way below everyone's estimate, maybe, yeah, right? you could imagine like if their Q four margins were like you know twenty percent, twenty two percent, and then they had to cut prices on top of that, like oh man, oh. that would be a, that'd be a huge red flag. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, in that case, yeah. I could absolutely see see prices going down, but I think that's really unlikely. Um, yeah. Well, we got to do next, maybe next Tuesday, we can do kind of your quarterly uh, model preview. On, yeah, on sure. The, on, yeah, on we this, should definitely do just that. To walk through it the day before earnings. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, yeah. I mean, also the other news is Elon Musk, right? I mean, um, he's. I guess he's going on trial starting today in San Francisco here, like with the taking Twitter private. Um, I mean, taking Tesla private uh, yeah. tweet he put out a few years ago. I, mm -hmm. This seems so silly that this has gone this far to like a you know who what shareholders are are taking him to court over this short obviously it's like it's really short sellers it's like yeah it, I mean it's, 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 it's funded so by ridiculous. the lawyers yeah it's funded by the lawyers who are probably incentivized by you know just getting money and and you know I I would think no one should be upset about it. no no long term no right minded if you're a short term speculator maybe you were upset somehow I don't know but. If you're an investor in Tesla and you're, you know, investor means like long term in my mind, if you're, if, you know, most general public, I would think, thinks of an investor as someone who owns the stock for more than a few years, you know, you're, you're an investor, you're not just some yeah. like short term speculator. So if you're an investor, you, you're doing great. You know, if Tesla had come back down, never came back up to 420 again, okay, maybe there's a case to be made somehow. Like you bought it on the way up at 400 and thought it was going to go up beyond, but now it's back at 200, but now split adjusted. It's like $2,000 a share. It's, yeah. Why would you be upset that he's thinking about, you should be happy that he didn't actually take it private. You know, like it's, uh, I don't, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, do you have any thoughts about this trial right now? Do you think it's a risk? Yeah, so I haven't been following it too closely. Um, I, I do think it could be a risk. They, the, I, I don't know the numbers on this, but somebody was saying, um, you know, if he loses and has to pay damages, he could have to shell, he could have to sell more shares, and so you know, th there could be that whole debacle. I, I don't get the sense that it would be that um, much of like a negative stock impact. But just overall, I completely agree with you. It's, it's like the plaintiff this, owns eight shares, according to Raymond Chen. On the Twitter, I don't know if anyone else so, has so, information in the comments. So yeah, well, I heard I heard that I, I heard it was it was like three shares pre-split or something like that. So oh. maybe maybe eight now. It just so it's so ridiculous. It's, it's very clearly not in this guy's best interest to be going through this. But you know, he's there's all these lawyer fees involved, and so people have incentive to to go through this. But it's yeah. not it's not at all. And they want a settlement. They obviously want a settlement. They I don't think they can they want a settlement, right? I mean, the lawyers would love Elon just to say, okay, I'll yeah. pay five hundred million to make this go away. Here's your cut. And they, you know, the lawyers get fifty million of that or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I and I think he's gonna try to to fight against this. Um he's been I really successful so. at doing that in the past. Um yep. you know, especially we've seen how passionate he gets on this topic in particular because he did have yeah. the funding secured, at least in his mind, with with the Saudis. Yeah. Uh and then the SEC came kind of and really backed him into a corner. And so this is this is a really emotional um topic for Elon. So I think he's gonna yeah. like fight this just on the principles. Um so I, I hope he wins, but I, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Do you, do you think it's a risk? What are your kind of thoughts on the, how it might impact? I think, I think, I actually think it's close to zero risk because it's a there's a jury uh, deciding on Even this. in San Francisco though? Cause that was the one thing where he was trying to get out of there. Yeah. No, even in San Francisco, it's harder to pick a balanced jury, obviously in San Francisco. That's like so highly, you know, left-leaning and the left hates Elon right now, obviously. So, but I think you'll find people in, I think they've selected a jury that that was probably, 
the, the most important part of this trial is selecting the jury. And there was even like articles written about the selecting of the jury or something. <laughs> and and I think yeah. everyone knows as, most, as long as there's a couple of people on that jury that are sensible, you know, then I don't think uh, in my mind sensible, you know, you sure there's, I think more than half the jury would be sensible to be honest, even in San Francisco. But I think uh, as long as there's at least a couple of people that are like, this is ridiculous. How is this, you know, we can't, prosecute Elon. This is terrible. You know, then he gets out of it. It's just a pain in the butt for him to have to show up and testify on Wednesday and all this stuff. And I think he's okay with that. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think that's what's going to happen. It'll be just a, a jury uh, of peers that are informed by both sides, not by the media. And when they get the both sides um, in information, they'll make sensible, logical conclusion that this is a ridiculous case to bring forward. And it's throw it out and be like, get it, get rid of this. And and then hopefully the lawyers learn, let's not try to do these types of lawsuits against Elon because he fights him and wins, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, if they keep getting paid, even if they lose, they, <laughs> I don't know. What do they get paid if they lose? I don't think they do. Well, I think a lot of these it, lawyers it just automatically, paying, like, yeah, it, maybe it, someone's it, funding it, them to do it. Yeah, that could be the case. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, this is a bit of speculation, but um, yeah. like, I, I think most lawyers wouldn't do this, you know, just on the, on the, you know, on the betting on the come essentially that they can win and, you know, get some huge payday. And if they lose, they get nothing. I'd imagine yeah. there are some people who are, you know, kind of funding this, this yeah. 131 just broken, by the way, 131 broken going up. All right. I like this. This is a nice trend. I like it, having. but I'm a long way from celebrating. I say that. <laughs> well, me too. Me too. As long as we're just going in the right direction, I feel like yeah. my uh, blood pressure is lower. So just keep my <laughs> blood pressure low, please. All right. Um, anything else, Elon, we wanted to talk about or anything else, Tesla, we want to talk about before we kind of move on, Matt? Anything you think of? Um, I'm just looking through the, the outline. Um no, I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, the, the only other thing that we had on our list was the uh, FSD beta V11. So this was the yes. single stack. Elon, mm -hmm. I was looking at some old tweets. Elon was actually promising this in February of last year. <laughs> and then it just yeah. kept getting delayed. And then in December, he said it'd be two weeks. And so then I think in January, was it like two weeks ago? He said it'd be maybe two weeks. So maybe like three weeks from now, we might actually have it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I was you trying to I think noticed? today... What's One that? thing I noticed, remember he made that comment in his tweet about like the neural nets will be affecting other thing, other controls yeah. or something? Yeah, yeah, um, like navigation and stuff too. Yeah. One thing it might have uh, done too is I noticed it this morning. Like I had just coming back from a, a trip over the weekend, a long road trip over the weekend. I was driving and I think on the radio we just had like, you know, I was driving back last night with my kids in the car. They were like listen, watching something in the screen in the back, which is kind of cool for the road trips. They're watching some like Disney show mm -hmm. or something. And I didn't have any like anything on like anyway, I was, I was listening to music earlier in the front and all that. Anyway, this morning I get in to take the kids to school and as soon as I get in. Um, not only does the school shows like the first option to select, which has been going on for a while, which is nice. I don't have to like pull up, write the name just to see what the traffic is going to be like going there and stuff. But also it automatically, for the first time I noticed this, it automatically set the, the media, the sound to what I normally listen to when I'm taking them to school, which is CNBC or Bloomberg. Tell I think it put it on CNBC because I'm always in tune in CNBC and Bloomberg and I'm switching between really? the two while I'm taking the kids to school just to kind of listen to that while I'm talking to my kids and stuff or have them kind of listen to the news, you know, <laughs> with me. But uh, yeah, it automatically set the radio to the station I usually like to listen to going to school, which is, I don't know if that's neural network or what, but you know, somehow 
it knew that. And it was the first time I noticed that. Yeah. I, I, so I haven't noticed that. I haven't been driving a whole lot lately though, to be honest with you. I've been holed yeah. up at the, at the home office for the most part, but, um, I like, I, I do think this has been such a long time in the making and this isn't, so this is the first time the public's going to get this V11, but he called it what like V11.4 or something like that. Yeah. So, so yeah. Th there must've been several major overwrites of this stuff. And they just said, you know what, we can't release this. Like it's, it's much more important to get the releases right than to get the releases out fast. Um, mm -hmm. cause if you've got, you know, one bad accident that changes public opinion, um, it's just, it, it could be a total disaster for the whole company. So like that Thanksgiving um, day one, like that was sort of, everyone has been highlighting that happened, you know, the day after you saw that video of that car kind of slowing down on the San Francisco Bay bridge tunnel there. I don't know that, that I did see that one actually. It was like a phantom braking accident claim. Oh, okay. Claim there's a phantom braking where the car like suddenly slowed and caused like an eight car pile up and a few people got injured. It was the, on like Thanksgiving day, like the day after or the day before Elon said, yeah, we released a new version. It's even better now or something. Everyone's making a big deal okay. about this accident. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he, but he, Elon made a comment recently that the, like the pace of improvement of their AI systems is actually really accelerating right now. And so, yeah, it's been ridiculously slow so far to, to get these updates, but the V11 is such a core rewrite of just about everything that once this goes, I really do think we're going to start to see a really uh, improved pace of improvement in the actual driving experience. So I, I really can't wait to, to see this and see what it's capable of doing. Uh, so this is like the, the single like, stack. This is like supposed yeah. to be the single stack version of event that we finally get that we've been talking about for over a year now. Yeah, with actually smart summon, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know if they'll actually include yeah. that or not. But you know, the yeah. the the logic of doing the whole kind of single stack rewrite is it, it's a really big undertaking, obviously, because it's got to be comparable to or better than the old stack, which had been optimized over many years uh, before they, they it really makes sense to release it. So um, I. I'm just very excited for this because I, I do think we're going to like the improvements that we saw over the course of 2022 were pretty good. But I think the improvements that we're going to see in 23 and beyond are, are going to be like very like accelerated. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, we'll see. I mean, it, maybe they want to release this before um, the 25th, before the Q4 shareholder call so they can put it in the shareholder letter like version 11 just released and X, Y, Z about it, you know. Yeah, I, I feel I like they don't want. They're not going to want. They're not going to want to talk about it in the shareholder letter, the conference call, opening remarks, or anything if they haven't actually released it yet. I don't think so. Um, definitely released before Investor Day, March first. I mean, you know, you got to think that self-driving technology is going to be talked about as part of the Investor Day. Um, so it's coming yep. up. It's coming soon. Uh, I just see a headline from Reuters: Jury selection begins in Tesla shareholder case over Musk's 2018. So I guess the jury selection is beginning today. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be the key element of the of the uh, just get some sensible people on that jury, I think. So anyway, uh, let's go to Q&A, I guess, unless there's something else. I, well, Starship, SpaceX, a lot of people, you know, that's on our list here, too. Um, we're SpaceX fans and Rocket Lab fans, which is doing well today. It's so funny how Rocket Lab just gets ignored by so many people talking about the space industry. I don't understand that. You know, they can't be ignored forever. They're doing great things, sending things to orbit, you know, so much. So it's just, yeah, but Starship's doing some good stuff, right? I mean, they're, they're, yeah, they, have they like got four that, of these uh, by the end of the year or something, I think Elon said. Yeah. And they've got the, they finally stacked them. So the, the booster with the Starship on top of it, it's just ridiculous. If you guys haven't seen those pictures, definitely check them out. It's, 
this thing is so massive. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to see this actually launch, just yeah. given how massive this is and all the engines. Yeah. Like these Raptor engines that they have are just just insane. Um, so imagine if something like goes Raptor, wrong. What do they call? But imagine it, the, imagine if something goes wrong with the Starship and it blows up in the middle of the <laughs> how how crazy that would look. I mean, it'd be like freaking major. That would be insane. Yeah. I mean, you know, if there's a blow up of the star it's almost like watching the the to me it's almost like watching uh i mean i definitely not with any astronauts on board i don't want to see any blow-ups but it's almost like watching nascar or race car like i really don't care watching it but i do kind of want to see the crashes you know and so all these like all these over and over like starships i mean i love i'm a spacex investor i don't want to see a crash but just like it would be it would be kind of like really weird to see like a starship blow up in the middle of the flight i mean if it does blow up i hope it's one of these first test flights and not one later on when there's a humans on board stuff so yeah. i wonder if we'll see some kind of big accident of the starship before they well, there was at least the, the one the one uh where they were doing like the, the the short hop where it went up i don't know five kilometers yeah. or however high it went and then it, they were trying the, the kind of landing maneuver and it just kind of barely didn't make yeah. it and then blew up <laughs> But like yeah. that, you have to imagine that was not fueled to like to the brim or yeah. anything like that. So if you had one like blowing up <laughs> shortly after launch, I oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I can't imagine yeah. what that would look like. I mean, um, they're gonna have all the safety precautions in these first several, you know, all of them, but especially this first one. So I, you know, it would just be ma magnanimous to look at, like spectacular, not in a good way, but it would be something you'd remember, yeah. a vision you'd always remember. But I doubt there'd be any deaths. Like think, you know, I don't think there should be any deaths based on yeah. the safety precautions. It would just be like crazy to look at so yeah no I, I agree and you know that they also had this falcon heavy launch was it yesterday or a couple days ago and that's a that's an interesting one to me because falcon heavy is this weird interim rocket where they, they were planning to use it for going to the moon and beyond and yeah. they ended up developing it and then like yeah you know what it's not fully reusable let's just kind of skip it so there's probably only going to be a, like a couple dozen launches ever of this so it's kind of cool to see these um because it's gonna get up it's gonna become obsolete pretty much as soon as starship is is reliable oh yeah yeah everything else for spacex will be obsolete basically once starships up yeah, yeah. that's gonna so, be there so the double booster butter. landing though like i'm gonna I'm, i'll miss the double booster landings that's crazy yeah yeah <laughs> that would be kind of cool to see again i mean the first time that happened that was like really something you remember a site you remember too oh my know? gosh yeah 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 and and anyway, Rocket yeah. Labs about to launch their first. I think later this month or next month is their first rocket from their Virginia Wallops Virginia yep. uh, launch site. Right, that's a big deal. Yeah, they they were going to launch last month, I believe, but they had some weather issues. Never got a, a clear window to to attempt to launch. So yeah, this will be the, the you know their first U.S. based launch. So that's definitely that's a huge milestone. I mean, they've got three launch pads now. Um, yeah. So it's it's a it's a very big deal. Yeah. And one more thing, another stock we cover often or we talk about and is Roblox. They had some, I guess the street is very impressed with their uh, monthly metrics. They just reported early this morning for December. So the stock's up, you know, 13%, um, you know, still way off from its 52 week or from its, its all time high as all the growth tech stocks are. But, you know, uh, I think the proof is in the pudding with Roblox, whether it's a trend or a fad, you know, like does it die yeah. down or does it continue to trend upwards and, you know, I believe it's going to continue to trend in the right direction just because that self-fulfilling loop of uh, that they they're so far ahead on that no one else has really in terms of the number of developers and good quality developers and developer teams, you know, building new stuff, new experiences on Roblox continuously and uh, attracting more users, more kids, more and older demographics are now using it. That's increasing. So 
I think they're going to stop doing the monthly metric. They mentioned on their press release this morning that they're going to stop doing the monthly metric uh, reportings on a monthly basis after um, the March metrics are released April 15th or, you know, so uh, going forward after that, we'll only see it every quarter. We'll see, uh, I presume they'll still show their monthly metrics in their quarterly reports. Um, So we'll still see the monthly metrics, but it'll just be every three months instead of every month. So we'll see how it plays out. We've, you've had so many double digit percent moves on Roblox in, yeah. in both directions um, yeah. as, as a result of these. And so it's just, I mean, that's got to be so distracting for a management team, I think. If you, it does. You know, you, they probably realize just, that and they're like, we, yeah. can't make, we can't create trading events around every month. Our stock. It's yeah. Too much yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, should we go to, to QA? Yeah. And then we've, we've go gone a bit over. Yeah. Let's go to QA. All right. First question is from Bob Adams, fourteen fourteen on Twitter. A large percentage of U.S. Tesla sales are in California. What does Tesla need to do to generate more sales in the rest of the U.S.? Um, I mean, we talked about it a lot earlier. I think traditional advertising would help accelerate uh, the tr- transition to sustainable energy in the states and parts of the country that are not already uh, accelerating in EVs. They're just kind of off to a slow start, you know, the Midwest or, you know, the Northeast or wherever where, you know, you don't have a ton of, you know, another thing to inform the public on is how the all wheel drive um, Tesla's perform in the snow in the cold weather. I mean, for some reason, even my mom, it was like a big deal for her to get over, like getting rid of her Subaru to get a Tesla model three all wheel drive. And she lives in Long Island, half the year, you know, where there's a lot of snow and stuff. And it was a big deal to like convince her, even though I told her over and over again, it, 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 it took a while. And then when she finally got it and she got her model three, it performs great in the snow. Like I said, you know, yeah. like, you know, so I think that's just another example. So people in like wintry climates are convinced that, you know, they need internal combustion engine, all wheel drive. You know, they have no idea that the all wheel drive on the Teslas are like digital versus analog. And they're just so much more efficient and better. Like it's so yeah. way better, you know? The regenerative braking is such a big deal in the snow too. I mean, that's mm. that's a lot of times when you're um, in a in a big vehicle, a nice vehicle, and you just coast and you hit you hit the brakes a little bit, it'll just start sliding. But with the regenerative braking, it's very easy to get a, like a, a very clear sense of of um, ex- like exact exactly how in control you are. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the the snow driving is just phenomenal. I mean, my, my wife yeah. drives those huge expedition four-wheel drive it's got like the snow traction setting yeah my all-wheel drive model y without snow tires <laughs> is way better <laughs> yeah. at like handling the snow than, than that huge car yeah uh, you've got and the I had center that... of gravity too it's like all yeah, these lower center of gravity skateboard yeah. yeah i mean when i had my rear wheel drive model s back in 2014 in the, in Connecticut, when I lived in Connecticut, and drove through some serious blizzards with that thing. That thing performed better than my previous Subaru WRX I had years before that in the in the, in the yeah. snow. Like I was happy with the Subaru WRX. That was like a boat in the snow and big, like twelve inch snow. Like that's you know it was cool. But the the, the rear rear wheel model S even that wasn't even that was before all wheel drive, and that performed better wow. because of the instant digital traction control. You know responsiveness. Yeah. You know it doesn't take an internal. It could just instantly. The torque, you know, the torque yeah. changes. It's just it, it performs better, even just rear wheel drive. And that was all season. That wasn't even snow tires, and it performed very like even better than the. Yeah. Anyway, 
you know, just things like that. And people need to educate. I see people in the comments talking about advertising, like people making suggestions like Tesla should do something innovative with advertising, get more influencers to compete, to create commercials or do something different. I'm not opposed to that. I think they should also put like a hundred million or something into traditional, normal, conventional methods of advertising, like that older people that aren't used to like seeing influencers on YouTube, you know, people just watch the nightly news or stuck to watching CNN and Fox news and, you know, watching sports on primetime TV that don't even use like Netflix or, you know, there's a ton of people like that need to be educated that are still in that kind of, you know, 20th century mediums, you know? So I feel like you need to educate those people the most because that's that, that you know, they're stuck in the kind of the 20th century technology. A lot of them anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's my rift. Next question from Kevin seven three four six four two five three on Twitter. Tesla's twenty twenty three cash flow from operations is uncertain, with estimates of fifteen billion USD in twenty twenty two. This makes valuing the company challenging. What do you think, Matt? Do you want to take a stab at that one? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it all kind of comes down to what we were saying at the, at the kind of top of the of the show here about um you know margin potential um i mean ebitda is, is a good proxy for cash flow there's a couple of differences but for the most part that's um about what, what you'd be looking at so the the question is just how substantially do uh do margins get hurt as a result of these price drops and then on the flip side how much more demand uh can they deliver as a result of these so so you know i i've been modeling around 1.8 million units uh, in 2023 before the price drops but um you know after the magnitude of these really surprised me i to me it, it seems more likely that we're going to be closer to, to 2 million units for, for this year what, what's your thought on, on that emma just before i kind of answer the cash flow piece of it uh, like what what volume is likely to achieve this year yeah i mean we touched on this a little bit the other day i think fourth quarter i would say my conservative estimate of volume of deliveries is 550 to 600,000 globally. That's conservative. You know, that's if the recession is, you know, lingers and is as bad as people think, maybe, you know, despite, you know, the price cuts, they'll still get to that and be able to deliver that many. Um, so I think conservative, I would say, you know, maybe 500,000, the other, so like 2.1 is sort of my conservative um, guess in deliveries for this year. Two, two to two point one, two million. Because I think it'll be five hundred thousand uh, plus in Q two and Q three, and um, so Q one is a question mark. I think four fifty is sort of like where I'm at for Q one, um, based on these price cuts and the volumes. And you know they produced four hundred forty thousand in Q four. So you got to you know even though Q Q one is a slightly shorter quarter, right? It's a couple of days shorter, but it's also Chinese New Year. But then you have to discount, yeah. like, hey, didn't didn't the China sh plant shut down for a part of December also? But you know, but also then you say, okay, well, there's ramping up still continuing of uh, Berlin and 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 Austin, um, and so I, I would think that there's got to be close to five hundred thousand cars produced in uh, in Q one. So if there's still kind of this logistics challenge, I would say there's still got to be at least 450,000 deliveries maybe, but, but if the logistics challenges aren't as bad as people fear, I could see 500,000 deliveries in Q1. So, you know, that's, be that's best yeah. case, but that's my thought. And then the rest of the year, 500,000 plus. And so, you know, 2.1 million would seem like, you yeah. know, my conservative estimate. 
Yeah. So, so that, I mean, that seems about reasonable. And, and when I'm doing a couple of different, <clears throat> different, you know, sensitivity analyses on, on the, the, the model that I've got, when I'm looking at 2023, when I go pretty conservative on almost all the assumptions, then I'm getting kind of earnings per share and operating income figures um, for 2023 that are like roughly flat with 2022. So, the, so the, the bear case, I guess, or not even the bear case, but the, the, the the bearish take on on what would happen if this was a really bad year is, you know, they actually are closer to 1.8 million vehicles delivered this year. Margins are hit a lot worse than than I projected. Maybe it is is on like the five percent drop in gross margin rather than the you know two and a half percent drop. Um, and then putting all that together, their um, earnings per share, which I think this year they're going to do something like 415, um, 410, somewhere in that range. Once when the Q4 numbers come out. Uh, total for the full year, then maybe 2023 is flat, but on higher volumes. So, mm. so earnings per share doesn't increase because the, the margins have been hit uh, and offsetting that a little bit is, the, is that the volumes have grown. So, yeah. so that's kind of like the worst case scenario. And so then um, with operating cash flow, the, the similar sort of, of trend would stay true, assuming there's no massive buildup in, in inventory or something like that, which would be a drag on operating cash flow. Um, then roughly 15 billion would be a reasonable estimate, I think, on the low end. Yeah. And on the, I, I mean, I think there's a realistic chance that Tesla delivers 2.3 to 2.5 million cars this year. I mean, I think- Oh, really? 2.5? That's, that's, the, that's the optimistic, that's the okay. most optimistic. I think like my my 80% confidence interval is between, you know, 2 million and 2.5. That's my 80% confidence in, interval uh, I put between how many cars- Tesla delivers, not just produces, but delivers in, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't long ago when everyone thought that they were going to deliver 2 million in 2022. Right. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't long ago. Like everyone was uh, like half of the community yeah. a year ago, everyone was thinking, Oh, 2 million. Yeah. It should be locked a lock for this year. You know? So yeah, we we've been surprised at how slow Berlin and Austin ramp has been for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember yeah. we had a long time ago, we had Brian, who I see in the comments, Brian from Next Big Future on, and, and he was he was definitely looking at, 20, at 2 million uh, deliveries in, in 2022. Yeah. Um, I remember that from the conversation. And it's, um, you know, it's just so hard to predict the, these S-curve it ramps. And, and the 4680 clearly has been a lot slower than, than people were thinking. Um, yeah. So that that just played into it too. Yeah. And then the Cybertruck, you know, should be the first deliveries or this year. I mean, I'm pretty, I, I, I'm, I'm probably 80% confident they're not going to push it back into 2024, but it depends on when the first deliveries are going to be, you know, the end of the second quarter, beginning of the third quarter, or the first deliveries are going to be like sometime in the fourth quarter, you know, and then they kind of start ramping. I think I, I, I suspect that the ramp of the Cybertruck will be, it, it's just, it, it's going to be smoother and quicker than the ramp of, you know, um, the Model Y or the Model X or the Model S, any of these other cars. I, I, that's what I'm suspecting just because the manufacturing, I think with the exoskeleton is going to be simpler. That's what I understand. Um, but Matt, what do you think about the Cybertruck? Do you think they're going to deliver? What's your over under number of the Cybertruck? Your 50, 50 over under of the Cybertruck deliveries. How many do you think they'll deliver in 2023? Over under the calendar um, year 2023. So it, so I'm setting the line for calendar year 2023 Cybertruck deliveries. I, all right, I'll yeah. set it at uh, hmm, like five thousand. Whoa, five thousand. Okay, because because I think I think they're not going to start producing until like Q4. And so if they wow. start producing okay. in Q4, then maybe then, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, a hundred the first week. And but so so if you 
move the time frame like three months, it'll have a huge impact. But I, I think it's unlikely that they'll get more than say 50 or a hundred in Q3. Um, mm-hmm. And so if they start in Q4, I just very beginning part of the S curve. Yeah. Like I, I think it's, it's like mm. tens of thousands is very unlikely in my mind. I'll take the uh, over they... on the 5,000. I'll take the over. All right. All right. I think right. my yeah, over under would be like, I should bet you a plate of bacon on that or something. Yeah, we should. Yeah. <laughs> plate of crispy bacon. Yeah. I, my over under would be 20,000. 20, 25,000, okay. 25,000, my over under 50, 50. But then I think, I think the more interesting question is what's your over under for next year for 2024? Cause for that's Cybertruck? where it really becomes yeah more meaningful. Yeah. Probably 250,000. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's my over under, you know, in case it's a slower ramp than I'm hoping, you know? Okay. And if it's a faster ramp, it could be 500,000, you know, but I think it'll could be a, you know, a moderate ramp would be, 250,000 slow ramp would be, you know, 150,000, 100,000 next year in 2024. Yeah. 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 All right. I'll take the under. (laughs) Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. Next question. Let's do a couple more questions. We've been dragging on the, okay. From Ed Jones. Yeah. From Ed Jones question, Matt, what does MP competition look like in us? I think that's mega pack. Mega pack. Okay. Zero sum seems to say Tesla is the only U.S. player that offers 500 megawatt hour plus arrays. Accurate? Who is competitive? Uh, yeah, so that's that's definitely accurate. Um, so Fluence is is like the the number two player in this space, and they do for the most part like three gigawatt hour. Um, Fluence, it's called. Or, or, sorry, three three megawatt hour. Yeah, Fluence. FLNC okay. is their ticker. Um, okay. And so th- their arrays are a lot smaller. There's you a know what wait, just so you guys know, the market cap of their competitor is 3.7 billion. Just you know, so it's tiny market cap. Oh, fluence? Right, anyway, fluence, yeah. And so mega cap are right, best case, they're destroying fluence. I mean, are they gonna be a 300 billion market cap if you spun it out? No way. I mean, it'd be like if you spun out the mega cap, I don't know what that valuation would be. But... What's what's fluence's sales? Like, what's the price to sales on that though? That's that's kind of Oh, but I didn't look at that. Th- this is cap. this is where I think that the 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 math actually gets interesting because their fluence's gross margins, I'm pretty sure, are negative, and mm-hmm. their sales are pretty small relative to their well, relative to their market cap, they're they're pretty high. Okay. Um, but so so while you're looking that up, um, I'll say like GE offers some, but for the most part, it as far as I can tell, it's like rebranded cells. Um, I know. There, there's a couple others. Uh, I want to say Samsung even did one. We, when I was um, working at the utility, we bought uh, at least three different batteries from from mm-hmm. Asian manufacturers. Um, but the, the the problem with those is you can't really wrap them into financing. Um, and yeah. so so to get these finance, that, so if it's like a three million dollar project, like any company can balance sheet that, take the risk themselves. Yeah. It's a pilot project, which is what all these were back in 2019. Um, but when you are talking about serious scale, um, like what PG&E did or what, uh, you know, which was, was it 770 megawatt hours or something like that? That the Moss Landing um, project? The Moss Landing one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you get to that scale, it's like you need like very proven systems because um, mm-hmm. like bank underwriting is, is really critical to getting this, this sort of stuff done. So, um, the, yeah, and there's there's nobody else that offers that. I mean, the total worldwide... Um, deliveries last year uh somebody somebody put a, a tweet out on it but it was something like 80 uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna quote it because i'll get it wrong but like this the scale of these in general is just really small right now so the fact that tesla is even you know quoting 500 megawatt hours and above is just you know 
crazy. So if, if you have a project of that scale, uh, I think I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure Tesla's your only choice unless you, you're in China. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's what I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of demand, like tons of demand for this. Um, but it's just a matter of can Tesla ramp it up fast enough, the whole mega packs, and can they uh, conquer, you know, the friction of connecting the supply to the demand. It's not like a software where you, you know, you press a button and it's connected, you know, you got to really do some logistics. You got to get these, uh, it's, it's more, I think it's more, it's not as easy and simple, uh, plug and, you know, plug and play as, as I think, uh, maybe some people assume I'm imagining there's lots of unknowns that we don't know about that go into it, that just cause, you know, it to take time for the uh deal to be done you know it not just it's not just signing the bottom line that's what i'm imagining and why it's gonna be a slower ramp of revenue than people think that's what i'm thinking that's what i've been trying to caution a little bit and i've gotten into a couple conversations on twitter back and forth on some of this stuff that like from from contract signing to the packs actually being manufactured to the packs Mm -hmm. being deployed in the field to the uh site actually becoming operational which is kind of like the very last thing for revenue recognition on on at least a portion of the revenues that they're going to get from this that's a multi-year process so Mm -hmm. you know i'm not saying that it's going to be like as lathrop ramps there's a three-year delay in revenue recognition i'm not saying that but to to your point emmett this this is like it there's a bit of a lag from when this ramps to um like when when the revenue is actually going to hit so yeah uh, you're definitely right on that front but I if still it was think software, it's a bigger opportunity than you. Yeah, if it was a software <laughs> thing, then it could be a hundred billion dollar market cap piece of Tesla right now, maybe. But because it's a takes time to manufacture and put these things in place, organize the revenue. And I think the if you spun out the mega cap capability from Tesla right now as its own spin out, called it like Mega Pack Inc. or whatever, but it still had all the I think that valuation of that particular opportunity would be less than 50 billion, probably less than 20 billion at this particular point in time. But I feel like people are talking about it as if like, well, this is something new. This is like an extra 50% on top of Tesla's share price right now. It should be, you know, I don't know. People are gonna start waking up to the, you know, I feel like there's just been so much hype around it. Overhype is what I think. I mean, I'm excited for it. Don't get me wrong, but I've seen these hype cycles many times and it just, uh, anyway. I'm just, I warn people to be cautious about the hype yeah. on some well, of the stuff. Well, there's a good proxy and I know I don't want to drag this on too much longer, but you know, I was looking at the, the price to sales ratio of fluence, uh, which is what we were just talking about. And they're just over one of price to sales ratio. So let's say like price to sales of one Lathrop has capacity of 40 gig or uh, 40 gigawatt hours a year, uh, which at $500 per kilowatt hour is 20 billion of revenue potential. So yeah, if you were to just value Lathrop alone on a price to sales ratio of one, then you'd say, okay, it's worth $20 billion, which is really small in the scheme of things. But where that can change is if the margins are actually a lot higher than people think. And if the growth rate is going to be, you know, above 50% per year, which I think it it, it will be at least for the next many years. Yeah. Uh, but so, this 40 so gigawatt that, hour then, capacity you're talking about, there's a lot of ifs, yeah. like you got to get to there, right? Are they actually producing mm-hmm. at that level now? No, you got to get yeah. to all that stuff. It's like in the future. You know, so what have they done up to this point? And that's the price to sales ratio of the mega pack is what I say. And then maybe you put a premium on top of that, but still it's under 20 billion, I would say for sure. Yeah. Well, I, like I'm kind of agreeing with you. I, I think right now okay. with how little we've seen 20 billion seems about right. But my sense yeah. is like from, from looking at how this is likely to ramp and the potential margins that they do have, I think it's going to scale really drastically from there. And I think when you've got a, uh, let's say 
to be be more conservative than a lot of people would have us be. But let's just say 25% gross margins on that. Well, all of a sudden, you can't do a, a price to sales ratio of one when you've got 25% gross margin. So, so like mm-hmm. the, the multiples can expand really quickly if you've got the combination of higher margins than people expect and higher growth rate going forward than people expect. So yeah, you could be 20 yeah. billion today, but maybe a year from now, when some of this stuff is proven, we might say, oh, you know what? Actually, 50, this is worth like 50 90 billion, billion or 100 yeah. billion. Yeah, yeah, I could see that too. Yeah, but let's see. Yeah, it's just, yep. I think people are a little overexcited right now on it. <laughs> I'm excited for it, but I, I, you know, I'm just trying to, temper people's expectations that the stock is going to be suddenly, you know, revalued because of this mega yeah. pack first deliveries or something. I, I don't think it adds like $300 per share or anything like that. Like yeah, I've seen no. a couple of people kind of commenting on it. So yeah, caution is, is warranted for sure. Yeah. All right, let's do, we've gone a long time. Last question over now. We usually don't go more this, than an hour really. So let's do one more question from T Nelly on YouTube. Can Tesla fully ramp Cybertruck if they haven't fully ramped 4680s? Do they have a contingency plan using 2170s? And can they get enough from outside suppliers? I'll take a quick stab at this first. And my inclination is the 4680s are ramping uh, on schedule um, in time for the Cybertruck to start ramping. I think the 4680s are ramping ahead of schedule if needed just for for the Cybertruck ramp. That's my thought. Um, We've seen the you know, production rate, I forget the actual numbers, but I've been re- relatively pleased with the recent, you know, six months, met, you know, milestones they've achieved with these 4680 ramps at the Lathrop facility. And I think they're putting it in place at uh, um, Austin as well. And then maybe they'll do the 4680 ramps in Shanghai and Berlin. Who knows? I think it's, it's supposed to be in Berlin later at some point. Um, so I, I don't think this is going to be a problem ramping the 4680s in time for the Cybertruck to start ramping end of this year that's my thought matt do you have any thoughts yeah um i I agree with that i think the 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 question like imagine just a hypothetical where they just haven't they can't fully ramp the 4680s do they can they solve that and i think the answer is no like i I think they need the 4680s for the cyber truck really are you sure about that i'm not no i'm not i'm not i'm not sure about that either like this is an assumption like i'm not even sure the for the cybertruck is is necessary like the 4680s are requirement to be part of the cybertruck i'm not even sure if that's the case but if that was the case i think they're okay but matt go on well i mean that's a fair point because like the model y we know is capable of being used with 4680s and without right so Mm -hmm. um i guess it's certainly possible that um the cybertruck could be done the same way um but my my sense is they'd rather like they'd clearly much rather have the 4680s you know ramped and figured out so you don't have two different versions of the Cybertruck. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not certain the answer on this, but um, I, I do kind of tend to agree with you. We've got roughly a year from right now, maybe call it ten months until Cybertrucks are going to start being manufactured, and that's a lot of time for the 4680 ramp to to really get in gear. Um, so I'm hopeful that they can um, make real good progress and. And that won't be a bottleneck as they're ramping Cybertruck. Yeah. 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 First Cybertruck's going to be super exciting. I heard uh, the interview with Franz, uh, with Ryan McCaffrey um, this past weekend released, uh, talking a lot about the Cybertruck. Seems like there's some cool little uh, features that haven't been disclosed that will be coming, uh, uh, that we, we will find out about soon when Cybertrucks are produced. So, yeah, it seems exciting. Cybertruck is. Cybertruck or the release of the Cybertruck into the wild, you know, when there's like 10,000 plus units 
you know, all over the Midwest and Texas and all over the Northeast, even, I think that'll be a conversation starter enough to help advertise Tesla through word of mouth, you know, regenerate, re-energize it, you know, to a larger degree. People look at it and be like, what's that? And other people, oh, I know about Tesla. Tell me, I'll tell you about it, you know? So I think mm -hmm. um, just the Cybertruck will be a as good as, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll create a viral uh, word of mouth um, marketing for Tesla. Um, but we might need some traditional advertising before that is what, what I'm thinking. <laughs> so yeah. go to meet the production uh, uh, increase of the Model Y and the Model 3 in the U.S. So and around yeah. the world. All right, guys. Well, that's it. For anything else you want to chat about, Matt? Or what's the difference between a snowman and a snow girl? Uh-oh. <laughs> um yeah you caught me out of left field with that one um i'm not sure what is it snowballs <laughs> your dad jokes are always uh on the dirty side <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know where i get them from you gotta have something for you know something kids can kind of be like oh that's funny ha huh? but grown-ups could be like oh i get it funny so <laughs> all right uh we'll we'll uh we'll leave it at that and next week we'll be on uh and we'll do matt's um uh, model preview of the Tesla earnings on the 25th. Uh, I don't see much excitement going into the earnings yet. I don't see many people talking about it yet. It's kind of, uh, I think that's nice. Maybe the stock will, will creep up going into the earnings because there's no excitement and it'll start drumming up soon. Yeah. Well, I think to me, it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, I, I've been, I've been doing the modeling and we'll, we'll get into this next week, but um, even if like, let's just assume it is a blowout quarter. Um, yeah. It almost doesn't matter what numbers they post in Q4 because all the attention is okay. What's going to happen in Q1 and beyond with these prices? The cuts? margins, yeah, yeah. So, so like if they post a dollar fifty earnings per share, which I don't think they will, but that would like blow out Wall Street expectations. Um, the stock could still fall if they are really cautious on their outlook. Um, so, so to me, it's a the results. We were looking forward to this as a catalyst with how strong Q4 was going to be, and you know, um, for a long time. And I, I think it's unfortunately the the macro situation has started uh, taking over all considerations else, elsewhere. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right that expectations are lower, but uh, yeah, I think guidance will be, be the key. most important thing. Mm -hmm. You think they'll do any? We'll we'll speculate if they do more guidance than 50% year over year on average for years to come. That's kind of a very bland, boring guidance. Maybe they'll be more specific. So. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, until next week, have a have a great week, and we'll be here same time, same place next week. All right. Bye. Thanks, everyone.